is going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Hello again, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode today. First, we want to start out, of course, by saying that this story that we're about to share is incredibly tragic. And as many of you know, happened very recently, just a couple weeks ago. So the families are only in the beginning stages of processing this horrific event. And our hearts really go out to them. And as this case is currently unsolved, we're sharing it today to give everyone all the current information in hopes of finding this senseless killer. I know a lot of you guys have been reading all the news articles like we have the past couple weeks, but we just wanted to kind of compile everything. So please share this story and thank you so much in advance. Yeah, I mean, we've been following this one since day one, since it happened, and we've received so many emails. But it took us a minute to get to this because of the Thanksgiving holiday week. So thanks for your patience and thanks for all of your emails, guys. All right, guys, this is episode 257 of Going West. So let's get into it. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. There are plenty of questions and very few answers after four students at the University of Idaho were found murdered in their off-campus house. Authorities are calling it a crime of passion. Tonight, more questions as investigators race to find a suspect in the gruesome murder of four college students in Moscow, Idaho. Zana Kernodal, Ethan Chapin, Maddie Mogan, and Kaylee Gonzalez. The most pressing facts are still a mystery. No murder weapon, no motive, not even a suspect description. Investigators say they've received an outpouring of tips since the murders. One report saying victim Kaylee Gonzalez may have had a stalker. We have heard mention that Kaylee stated she may have had a stalker. We all want to understand why this happened and what drove someone to do this. There are four victims in today's story. Ethan Chapin, Kaylee Gonzalez, Madison Mojin, and Zana Kernodal. So we're going to start by telling you what we know about each of them and how they knew each other. So Ethan Chapin was born on October 29th, 2002 in Seattle, Washington to parents Stacy and Jim Chapin, and he was actually a triplet. 
Ethan was born first, but was very quickly followed by a sister, Maisie, and a brother, Hunter, within just two minutes. Ethan grew up in the state of Washington, with him and his family moving from Olympia to Conway and then to Mount Vernon. Along the way, he played lots of sports, from soccer to basketball, and he ran cross-country. Ethan and his siblings attended Mount Vernon High School, but COVID actually hit during the end of their junior year, so the school closed, and with that... Ethan and his siblings decided to head over to the neighboring state of Idaho and work for an all-seasons retreat called Hills Resort, located in Priest Lake, Idaho, for the summer. And with their senior year being called off in person as well due to COVID, they continued to work in Idaho until they decided that they wanted to stay and attend the University of Idaho in August of 2021, which is located in the small city of Moscow, Idaho. Yes, it is pronounced Moscow, not Moscow, like in Russia. So from there, Ethan joined the Sigma Chi fraternity and relished making new friends and playing sports, and he was majoring in recreational sport and tourism management. His obituary reads, quote, Ethan loved life. He laughed continuously. He smiled when he woke up and was still smiling when he went to bed. He was kind to all and a friend to all. May we all try to make the earth a better place, and may we all live like Ethan. While at the University of Idaho, Ethan met a girl named Zanna. Zanna Kernodal was born in July of 2002 to parents Kara and Jeffrey Kernodal in Post Falls, Idaho, which is a city that's considered a suburb of Coeur d'Alene to the east, though reports suggest that she's originally from Avondale, Arizona. She had an older sister named Jasmine who stated, quote, You rarely get to meet someone like Zanna. She was so positive, funny, and she was loved by everyone who met her. Zanna went to high school in Post Falls, and after graduating in 2020, she went to the University of Idaho to major in marketing. And while she was there, she worked at a Greek restaurant downtown, and she joined the Pi Beta Phi sorority. Kaylee Gonzalez was born on June 9th, 2001 to parents Christy and Steve Gonzalez in Concord, California, but spent most of her life in the state of Idaho, particularly Coeur d'Alene, which is a city in northwest Idaho, very close to the Washington border, that sits on a beautiful lake and offers tons of recreational activities. Kaylee was the middle child of five siblings and was called the fairness fighter by her sister, who also said that she was always up for new experiences and she lived life to the fullest, stating, quote, Kaylee was and always will be our defender and protector. She's tough and she's fair. The ultimate middle child. She did absolutely everything that she set her mind to. She didn't hold back on love, fights, or life. Kaylee was the ultimate go-getter and constantly wanted an adventure. Kaylee attended Lake City High School there before graduating and heading an hour and a half south to attend the University of Idaho in Moscow. There, she majored in general studies and she pledged Alpha Phi. And this year was her senior year and she had her whole future planned. She was planning on going to Europe next year and then moved to Texas after graduation. She even had a job lined up. Also attending the U of I alongside her was her best friend, Madison Mogan. 
And they were basically like sisters because they grew up together in the same area. Yes, exactly. So Madison Mae Mogan, who often went by Maddie, so we're going to call her that, was born on May 25th, 2001 in Eugene, Oregon, to parents Karen and Benjamin Mogan. And she was an only child, but, you know, like Keith just said, Kaylee was basically her sister, and even their family said that. So Maddie lived in Oregon with family until she was just two years old when they moved to the state of Idaho and settled into Coeur d'Alene. And she eventually graduated, or graduated from Lake City High School with Kaylee and then also headed to the University of Idaho with Kaylee and her beloved boyfriend, Jake, where she made the dean's list every semester, which for those who don't know, it's like a scholarly award for students who achieve academic excellence. So Maddie was super smart. She pledged the Pi Beta Phi sorority and majored in marketing. Her obituary reads, quote, Maddie was known for her ability to make others smile and laugh with her offbeat and hilarious sense of humor. And Maddie actually worked at the same Greek restaurant downtown that Zana worked at. And for those who don't remember, Zana was also in Pi Beta Phi sorority. So Right. So there was all these different connections and how they all knew each other. Exactly. So now you kind of get the picture of how everybody is connected. Like Maddie and Kaylee were best friends. Maddie and Zana worked together and were in the same sorority. And then Zana and Ethan were dating. And they all lived together except for Ethan. So in a rental house located on King Road in Moscow, Idaho... 20-year-old Zana, 21-year-old Maddie, and 21-year-old Kaylee lived with two other female roommates, Bethany and Dylan. 20-year-old Ethan Chapin often stayed at the house with Zana, of course, like many boyfriends and girlfriends do. So on the night of the murders, that's what he was doing. He was just there to hang out with Zana. And crazy enough, Kaylee actually posted a photo of all six of them on Instagram at 8.57 p.m. the night before the murders. So there is conveniently a photo of this entire group together, and we're going to post that for everyone to see on our socials. Um, and Kaylee's caption was, quote, one lucky girl to be surrounded by these people every day. Moscow, Idaho hosts the University of Idaho, home of the Vandals, and it sits right on the Idaho-Washington border. Now, the city only hosts about 25,000 people, so these murders were a very terrifying event to occur knowing that there weren't too many residents in this area, with the county only hosting a total of 40,000 people. Now, since there were two survivors in the house that night, Dylan and Bethany, let's talk about the layout of the house. So this was a six bedroom, three bathroom house that's a total of 2,300 square feet. Here's the Zillow description, even though the house is off the market. Quote, one of the top campus housing options available, sought after location within close walking, biking, driving distance to campus and Greek row. Ideal setup for roommates with two beds slash one bath on each level. Great outdoor living and entertaining space with large deck and patio. This six-bed, three-full-bath home has been fully renovated in 2019. Recent updates include new kitchen, two fully remodeled bathrooms, and newer flooring throughout, no carpet. Washer slash dryer in unit and reserved off-street parking. Easy living with low-maintenance landscaping. Sorry, no pets allowed. So there's three levels, as you can see in the photos that we are uh, going to post. 
and a ton of parking spaces available out front. And this particular property sits at the end of the road backed against some woods, but it's surrounded by housing kind of at an odd placement. Like the houses around them sit just below the house, but they're still right there. Yeah, so this wasn't isolated in any way. And even when we say woods, it's not like the woods. It's kind of like a tree line or a collection of very large trees that divides their backyard from the backyard of somebody else on the other side down that hill, if that makes sense, if you can visualize it. And, you know, definitely go look at the photos because it's kind of confusing to explain, but it is important to the story. So basically the house is, it's like split. So there's a lower level, which is where the parking is and the front door, like the main front door, and that connects to the street below and Greek row. The lower portion of the house consists of the ground level and the second floor, but the second floor also connects to the back that faces that small area of woods. And this area has a large patio that connects to the kitchen, meaning the kitchen is on the second floor. And this level hosts the top floor as well, so the third floor. And this is important to note because the two people in the house who survived that night, Dylan and Bethany, slept on the first floor in their rooms. So did the killer enter through this wooded area? We're going to touch on this again when we discuss the killings to kind of give you, again, a better picture of the layout of this house and how it pertains to this actual case. So the way I was kind of thinking of describing it is that the house isn't just on one level. Like, obviously, there are multiple floors. There's three floors. But when I think about the entirety of the house, there's one portion of the house, which is the first and second floor, which is on one level. And then on the second level, there's the third floor. So it's not all like you know, the entire house is not based on one level. It's so confusing if you don't know, but you should just look. I mean, I get what you're saying though, because the first floor and the second floor are technically both at ground level. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost like the house kind of goes up a hill. Yes, it does. Yes. That's, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. It kind of goes up a hill, but go look because it just makes it a lot easier to understand. So the night before the murders, which was Saturday, November 12th, 2022, just a week before the University of Idaho would take off for Thanksgiving break and many of the students would return home to their families, Maddie and Kaylee went to a bar just a five minute drive away called Corner Club, which is like a dive bar on Main Street with beer, popcorn and sports on TV. And they arrived at around 10 p.m. Now, there is a video of both Kaylee and Maddie at their next stop, and you can tell that Kaylee and Maddie are both visibly drunk. Not to shame them at all. I mean, they're young women. It's a Saturday night. They're in college. They're in college. They're trying to have some fun, but we're mentioning this because it could be relevant. So many patrons at the Corner, uh, corner Club specifically remember them both that night and just how drunk they were, you know, that they were like stumbling but this was mostly Maddie, as you guys can see on the video that we posted. And video footage shows Kaylee and Maddie outside at the grub truck at 1.40 a.m. This is a food truck. It travels, serves like fun mac and cheese flavors and tacos and burritos. And a guy who remembers seeing them at the corner club actually saw them there as well. And noticed that there was a guy in a hoodie with them. 
Now, this footage actually came from a Twitch live stream that the food truck puts up almost every night. I don't know why they do this. I guess people want to watch people going to get food from the truck. I don't really know. Interesting. But the man remembers he's also on the footage. He remembers this guy in the hoodie talking to Kaylee and Maddie, seeming nice and like he was maybe trying to make sure that they got home safe. The man we're talking about, he's a bearded guy. He has not been considered a suspect and he has been questioned by police. And you can see in the video that Maddie grabs their food from the window while Kaylee is laughing and taking a video of her. And in the background, you can see the guy in the hoodie that we mentioned, and he's talking to a bearded man in a hat. And the man in the hat is the one who is reporting all of this, the one who saw them at the corner club. In that moment, a black sedan pulled up and someone inside said, hurry up. And both Maddie and Kaylee got inside. Then the bearded guy in the hat pointed at the girls and said that they were leaving. And the hooded guy, the apparently nice one who was talking and hanging out with Maddie and Kaylee, said, what the fuck? And then the car drove off. Now, you know, there's a lot of speculation about this guy because uh, some people say they think he might have followed them or he seemed annoyed after they left without him. Yeah, yeah. But there's all people also really take apart this video as we should. Um, you know, oh, there's a shadowed figure in the back. Who's that? You know, because there's multiple people in this video standing waiting for their food. Right. And people are just trying to speculate at this point. But but I do think it's interesting that when the bearded man in the hat tells the hooded guy, hey, they're leaving. He turns around and he takes off very quickly. Okay, we just took a quick pause to go watch that video again. And yeah, you're totally right. So he's talking to the, the hooded guy is talking to the bearded guy. They're talking for at least a couple minutes while the girls are standing by the window waiting for their food. And then as soon as the bearded guy points and says that they left, you can't hear yeah. him say this. The bearded guy just reported later what he told the hooded guy. The bearded guy within like five seconds while they're talking walks up to get his food and the hooded guy who was just talking to the bearded guy for minutes doesn't say anything else and walks back, like walks away with his hands in his pockets, not in the direction where the girls went to the car, but off into the background, down into the distance. But kind of in the similar direction, almost. Well, I, it just makes you wonder, is he going to his car? Is he now leaving? Like he left so fast after they left. Yeah, it's like the girls are there, they get their food, they take off, the bearded guy's like, hey, they're leaving, and then he goes, uh, hooded guy goes, what the fuck? Bearded guy goes to get his food, hooded guy immediately takes off. Just walks off, doesn't say, hey man, like, I'll see you later, I'm just gonna go home then. He just leaves, like, he goes fast, like, he's trying to get out of there right then and there. So that is really bizarre. And, you know, for anybody who's wondering, oh, why is he in a hoodie? That's weird. It was a very cold night. There was like snow on the ground. It was 30 degrees Fahrenheit-ish or negative one Celsius. So a lot of people are wearing big hoodies and stuff like that. But so you can't really see this guy's face. You can see his general description, but we don't, we don't know who this guy is. The police haven't released it. And I don't even know if the police have questioned him because I couldn't find anything on whether or not they did or have been able to find his identity and rule him out. But he is like, he is big in my mind. 
Yeah, he definitely needs to be questioned if he hasn't already been questioned by police. Oh, yeah. And sorry, guys, that we're getting ahead of ourselves because we haven't even told you about the crime yet. But we're just going through the events of the night. So, Heath, why don't you carry it on? So that night, roommates Dylan and Bethany arrived home from their evening at about 1 a.m. and they went to sleep. And they slept through the entire night. Now, Xana and Ethan went to a Sigma Chi fraternity party that night at the frat house at about 8 p.m. The black sedan that picked up Kaylee and Maddie has been reported as a private party. So we're not sure if this was an Uber or what, but the driver was later questioned and has been cleared by police. Now, five minutes later at 1.45 a.m., Kaylee and Maddie arrive home. Around that same time that they arrived home, so did Xana and Ethan. Now, reports state that Xana and Ethan were at the party from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m., but it's not yet been released where they were afterward. Between 2.30 and 3 a.m., Kaylee made multiple calls to her ex-boyfriend Jake, which her family says is not usual, but he has been cleared of suspicion. Then, sometime between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m., Ethan, Xana, Kaylee, and Maddie were murdered in that house. They were all thought to have been sleeping at the time, but a coroner ruled that some of them had defensive wounds, and all of them were stabbed multiple times with no signs of sexual assault. Shortly before noon on Sunday, November 13th, 2022, the other two roommates, Dylan and Bethany, woke up for their day and found the murder victims, quote, unresponsive on the second floor. So two of them were on the second floor and two of them were on the third floor, but they initially stumbled upon the ones on the second floor. Right. So before calling 911, they reportedly called friends for help. This has been looked at as very suspicious to many because although whoever they came upon would have been stabbed to death and deceased for over seven hours, at 11.58 a.m., one of the girls called 911 to report, quote, an unconscious individual. So what Dylan and Bethany had to have, you know, come upon would have been absolutely horrific. And they're 20 or 21 years old, so it's possible that they just didn't know what to do. And also everyone's wondering how on earth they didn't wake up during these attacks. But again, with the placement of the rooms, it could have been easy to sleep through since they were on a totally different level of the house. Or it makes you wonder if the attacks were more on the silent side. But at this time, police say that the two other roommates are not suspects. And with that said, there was no sign of forced entry. So did someone possibly leave a door unlocked or was the killer already inside? We know you guys love a good mystery, especially one with twists and turns. Am I right? This is why you guys are going to love June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker while she tries to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder in the roaring 1920s. In this hidden object mystery game, put your detective skills to the test. While you're on this quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret, you can customize your very own luxurious estate island and let your imagination run wild. Daphne and I actually love to play this game together because you can chat with and play with or against other players. 
by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. It is truly so much fun. You guys are going to love it. So what do you think? Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. As true crime listeners, you're aware of the dangers out there in the world. So why not keep your home as safe and secure as possible? Daphne and I do this by using Simply Safe. For award-winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. When we get ready for our summer trips this year, I will feel so much better about leaving the house knowing that Simply Safe has our back, just freeing me from my constant anxieties. And also something I love is that their system blankets your entire home in protection from break-ins to fires to floods. And with indoor and outdoor cameras to choose from, you will feel safe any time of day or night. And Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring agents to help stop crimes in real time. Which is part of why they were named the best home security system of 2024. Simply Safe has given us and so many listeners real peace of mind, and we want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash going west. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Heath and I are major sufferers of seasonal allergies. They are the worst. It can even be difficult to host this show when our noses are all clogged up. We have tried brand after brand, but luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. And big shout out to Claritin for supporting this show and providing us with samples. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. I feel like I sneeze all day long. I always have an itchy face, but now I can actually go outside in the grass and not have a sneeze attack or be stuffed up thanks to Claritin D. Are you ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Sometimes Daphne and I are doing research for Going West, and we subscribe to different newspapers from all around the country, and then we forget to unsubscribe. But that's exactly why we love Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You'll be able to see all of your subscriptions in one place, and if you see something you don't like, Rocket Money can help you cancel it in just a few taps. It is seriously that easy. And that's why Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash going west. That's rocketmoney.com slash going west. rocketmoney.com slash going west.
Regarding there being no sign of forced entry in the house, family members of the victims pondered if someone who had been to the house before knew the keypad lock code because that's what was on the front door as they often, you know, had parties at the house, which makes sense as most of them are in sororities and they're all in college. But as we'll get into it, it doesn't seem like the killer entered through the front door. It seems like they might have o- or entered through the second floor um, on the back side. The sliding, the sliding kitchen glass door. door yeah. Yes, exactly. So also regarding the unconscious person call. Now we found a post on Reddit that could explain it, but forewarning, it is not confirmed by police. So take it with a grain of salt. I know a lot of you don't like when we find things on Reddit, uh, but we dug really deep this weekend to find details on the story. And I think this post is interesting if it holds weight. So I just want to read it. It's from Redditor u slash mysterious book 2602. And it reads, quote, I saw this comment on Facebook and wanted to share it here because it clarifies everything and stops people from speculating about the survivors. Supposedly, a few days after the murders, someone was asking questions on the victim's Instagram post about the survivors. Two of the people who were at the house with the roommates when the call was made quickly came to their defense, and this is supposedly what they said. Keep in mind, this is all alleged. Quote, Two people who claimed to be at the house with the roommates when the bodies were discovered quickly came to the surviving roommate's defense and wrote that the roommates woke up, went upstairs to the kitchen, and noticed the sliding glass door was open, and it was during that time that they discovered Ethan. They didn't say where he was found on that floor, but that it was so horrific that both girls went into shock and ran out of the house. One of the roommates fainted and the other was beyond hysterical and not making any sense. Their frantic actions while coming out of the house caught the attention of people walking past. The people responding on the victim's IG claimed to be one of those two people. They implied that the roommate who fainted had already dialed 911, but was so distraught that she fainted before she could get any info that the dispatcher could understand. The only info that the bystander who picked up the roommate's phone could give the 911 dispatcher was she just saw her friend run out of the house and faint. That's how the 911 call was made on the roommate's phone and by someone else and why the call went out for an unconscious person. So again, not confirmed, though this does seem like it would make a lot of sense if it was true. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a plausible scenario. You call 911, you run out of the house, you faint, and then somebody else calls back 911 and says there's an unconscious person on the property. Exactly, because that was a huge thing that I was thinking at first. I remember talking to my mom about this on Thanksgiving. I was like, what like why why would the roommates call about an unconscious person when these poor young people, people are were clearly deceased yeah it was stabbed to death hours after they were killed why would they say that but this could help us understand why and you know obviously there's so much of this story that's unknown so no judgment to the roommates at all i mean what a horrible thing for them to have endured um, but yeah, so ba- back to the facts. Right. And we also just don't want to speculate too much. We, of course, there is a lot of speculation out there, but we're trying to keep things to the facts as best we can. So at 1 p.m. on November 13th, within one hour of police arriving to the house, 
a vandal alert, because the U of I mascot is a vandal, was sent out regarding a, quote, homicide on King Road near campus. Now, the alert advised everyone to shelter in place, and then an hour and a half later, a second alert was sent out saying that police didn't believe that there was an active threat and people did not have to shelter in place, but that they should stay, quote, vigilant. And I just wonder why they said this, because I remember reading this in the news the day after this happened. And, you know, assuming the no active threat meant that they knew who committed the murders or that the killer was dead. But that is very much not the case. So did they originally think it was? I mean, I think probably they're seeing the scenario in which uh, the killer doesn't appear to be on that property anymore. And maybe in their minds, they're thinking, okay, you don't need to shelter in place, but just keep an eye out, you know, be weary of things happening within the community. But I feel like that would have the opposite effect. Like, oh, there's all these horrific murders in one house and we don't know who committed them and the killer's on the loose. Like that should be the ultimate alarm to the community of there is a horrific murderer on the loose. But so I, as we're going to get into the things that they saw at the scene that they have not released to the public have kind of made them made them say that and think that maybe this person only wanted to kill at least one person in that house and not just random people in general. I think that could be why they said that, but we're going to get into that. So like we said before, this was just days before Thanksgiving break. So students began leaving campus early and professors canceled classes due to the growing fear both on campus and just in the city of Moscow. Three days after the murders, it was released that all four victims were murdered with a, quote, edged weapon such as a knife. Now, we will post photos of what is believed to have been used, but basically it looks like a hunting knife of sorts. Yeah, kind of like a buck knife. Yeah, and as various news stations have speculated, it actually looks a lot like the knife that's used in the Scream movies by Ghostface. So if you've seen that, you can already picture kind of what it looks like. Now, at this point in the investigation, you know, three days in, police announced, quote, we cannot say there's no threat to the community. And as we have stated, please stay vigilant, report any suspicious activity and be aware of your surroundings at all times. Within a week of the murders, the Moscow Police Department received nearly 650 tips and had already conducted 90 interviews. And still, they had no viable suspects nor murder weapon. And actually, I want to mention, too, another survivor in the house was Kaylee's dog, Murphy, who is now being uh, being taken care of by her ex-boyfriend, Jake, the one she called numerous times in the middle of the night, which I am also extremely curious about considering these calls, you know, would have been made right before or during the attack. So are these calls connected in any way? And also, this makes us wonder if the dog barked, like where Murphy was during the situation and how Murphy was found, but it has not been made public yet. And I'm sure police did their due diligence as far as questioning Jake about where he was that night, what he was doing. Well, especially since she called him, absolutely. Right, and when he received the phone calls. But yeah, I do think it's kind of weird that, you know, in the middle of the night, she's making numerous calls to Jake, Mm -hmm. um, and then all of a sudden 
these murders occur yeah. around that same time. Yeah, unless she was just, you know, under the influence and she just wanted to call him. Because that would have been, you know, around 45 minutes-ish after she got home. So maybe she was just trying to talk to him. Like, who knows? It could not be relevant, but sure. it did yeah. happen. So the only information regarding the crime scene that has been released is that there was, quote, lots of blood on the walls and the location of where each victim was stabbed and how many times has not been made public. But like we said, too, we do know there's been so many people picking apart just by looking at photos and videos because they all were on TikTok and just looking at the Zillow link for their house and comparing photos of them to the bedroom photos. Like everyone's trying to determine where in the house each of them oh, yeah. were. And people are, yeah, people are really digging in at this point, but it's also hasn't been confirmed if they were actually killed in their beds. Though the coroner did say that it's inaccurate that they were all killed in bed. As we mentioned before, the house is split up in a very weird way, and it's been reported that Dylan and Bethany's rooms were on the ground floor. So, did the killer enter through the second level? The patio that connects to the kitchen is separated by the uh, sliding glass door that we mentioned earlier, and there's also a small area of woods behind it. And when we say woods, obviously, like we mentioned earlier, we're not talking about like a giant forest, we're just talking about um, some large trees that are behind the house. If this sliding door was left unlocked, the killer could have entered and killed Kaylee, Maddie, Zana, and Ethan on the second and third floors, leaving Dylan and Bethany alive on the bottom floor. Now, we know that Maddie's room was one of the two on the top floor, so the third floor, because there's an M in her window next to a pair of pink cowboy boots on display, which she owned. So if you're standing in a certain angle of the yard, you would know that that was her room. And it seems that Kaylee's was also on the third floor, while Zana's room was on the second floor just off of the kitchen. And there was also a vacant bedroom on that floor as well. Now, in a photo of the house during this investigation, a screen from one of the vacant room's windows is on the ground. So did the killer enter the house through this window that was unlocked, or was the screen already off anyway, and they entered in a different way? The front door on the ground floor is the one with the keypad, but with Bethany and Dylan having their rooms on that floor, it makes sense that the killer could have entered from the upper level and left the ground floor alone altogether. Now, either this or Kaylee, Maddie, Zana, and or Ethan was the target. Police have released that they believe that this was a, quote, isolated, targeted attack, but haven't given much other information as to why they think that. So many are running with this idea that 21-year-old Kaylee was the actual target. And this is how Aaron Snell, the communications director for the Moscow police, responded. Quote, There were survivors of this. And then as well, based on the evidence internally at the scene, that has led detectives to believe and continue to believe that this was a targeted event. And of course, we understand that police have to keep the integrity of the investigation, which is why such details have not been released. But it really just makes you wonder what the hell they're talking about. Like, if they believe one or more people in the house were targeted, there must be something that was either left at the scene or just the potentially brutal nature of the crimes itself that are making police say this. And 
I would assume that there were brutal in nature anyway, because there's actually a photo of blood seeping out of the second story. It's either coming like from a pipe or the bottom of the wall. And I think this was Xana's room. And since it's not too graphic, we will post it because the photo also leans further into the idea that the murders happened only on the second and third floors, which I think we can pretty much confirm at this time. Yeah, I think so. So Kaylee's father, Steve, told CNN that police told him that there was only one person being targeted amongst the four that were killed, though he didn't tell Steve who this person was. He also mentioned that the killer had allegedly done a sloppy job and had left behind an abundance of evidence, which will hopefully lead them to the killer's identity as soon as possible. There are also talks of a possible stalker, which it seems is why people wonder if Kaylee or Maddie were specifically targeted and the others were killed either because they responded to the sounds of the attacks or the killer entered the wrong rooms. Aaron Snell with the Moscow police also stated, quote, We continue looking into the stalker issue and are asking for any information from the public on this topic. Police also stated just days ago, quote, Kaylee mentioned having a stalker, but detectives have been unable to corroborate that statement. Investigators are requesting anyone with information about a potential stalker or unusual instances to contact the tip line, which we are going to put in the end of this episode. In a separate statement, they said, quote, Investigators have looked extensively into information they received about Kaylee Gonzalez having a stalker. They have pursued hundreds of pieces of information related to this topic and have not been able to verify or identify a stalker. So, so many people were saying, oh, Kaylee was the target, at no fault of her own, obviously, but there has been, or at least police are not releasing that they have found a connection to her actually having one or why why it's said that she had one. Yeah, it seems like this is just speculation at this point. But it's also possible that there's no trace of a stalker. Like maybe Kaylee told some of her friends, oh, I've noticed someone's been following me, but there's no like digital footprint, you know, things like that. that yeah, could she doesn't actually... have a name or a yeah, description. Really. Exactly. It might just, might just be something like that. Like I feel like somebody's watching me, but doesn't know who it is. So a University of Idaho student and fraternity member who bartends at the corner club where Kaylee and Maddie spent the night before named Corbin believes they were targeted by an outsider stating, quote, they were college girls. They have stalkers. Okay. But you'd never think anyone would go this far. Whoever did this is not in their circle. It's going to be a stranger who saw these girls on campus or outside at a bar and possibly followed them home. And he also mentioned that with a knife as the murder weapon, the suspect may be an experienced hunter or an outdoorsman. I don't know about you, but I feel like Corbin's like concrete answers feel very suspicious to me. Like the fact that he is in an article with his opinions on, oh, this is the person who did it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's just looking at it logically. But yeah, maybe he know. Maybe he recognizes them and knows them, and they come in and he's familiar. Sure, but I do agree. I mean, I do agree that whoever this killer was possibly saw Maddie and Kaylee as vulnerable victims 
who tried to follow them home. And actually, a former FBI profiler named Jim Clemente believes that the killer is a, quote, younger man who uh, killed for his first time that night, stating, quote, this is an extremely risky crime for the offender, unless he knows one or more of the victims, or he's been stalking one of them. Going into an occupied dwelling with six young adults, any of whom could have had a knife or a gun or a cell phone to call the police, is extremely risky, unless you know the circumstances inside. He doesn't mind the wet work of getting his hands dirty, and his profession will probably say the same thing. He also went on to say that they would have been comfortable with blood if they carried through with four whole murders, and that this person could work as a butcher or be a hunter, as Daphne had just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, for those who don't know, a lot of people in Idaho and just the Pacific Northwest in general hunt. So this isn't some like smoking gun. This is a pretty common activity, which just makes this whole situation harder. Right. And when we lived in Boise, there were a lot of people who were into hunting and fishing there, but even more so up north because it's more isolated the further north you get in mm, Idaho. Lots of wilderness. Yeah, lots of wilderness. So probably a lot of hunters. Jim Clemente also added that he believes the attack was targeted, though the killer, quote, may not have known which room exactly the person was going to be in. They may have stopped at four victims because they got their intended victim. I don't think he's an experienced killer. I don't think that this guy's done this before. He was likely motivated by revenge or rejection or some kind of insult. Which is why I wonder if the hooded guy in the video was questioned because... I mean, the bearded guy, I hate that we don't have names. I'm sorry, I know the hooded guy, the bearded guy is really confusing. But the bearded guy who told the story said to, he said, believe me that this seemed like a nice guy who had good energy. But the girls did leave him that night. So like, was he a friend they drunkenly left without thinking about? Or was this someone they wanted to get away from? And then maybe he came back in anger because as we know this guy did I'm, I'm not saying this guy did it i don't know shit about this guy i'm just saying that it's really suspicious to me that as soon as he's noticed that they left without him he storms off all the way i keep saying all the way down but if you see the video you'll know what i mean like he walked completely out of view and maybe followed them who knows who knows where this guy went yeah it looks like he just you know walked down the road yeah like in the same direction and I mean, well, not the exact same direction. Though. No, 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 no. Because no. they went off to the left and he went straight back. Yeah. So it almost like if this was the case, it almost looks like he could have like flanked around them. If they went to the left and he went straight uh -huh. and then cut to the left. But they were getting in a car. So it's not like they walked off and he could have followed them. He would have had to have followed them in his car. Probably. Sure. Sure. So unless he saw which car they got into it would be hard to track them. Unless he knew where they lived, right? Sure. And I mean, hopefully police have received tips regarding this supposed stalker's identity or they will soon. But the problem here as well is that the killer got a pretty decent head start since the bodies weren't discovered until seven to nine hours after the murders took place. And with classes being canceled, if they were a student, their absence the next day at school, if they did flee, would not have looked suspicious. Yeah, I mean, everybody was going home for the holiday. Yeah, and then they could have done the same thing, gone home w to see their family. But since this case has been all anybody is talking about, I mean, even like I said earlier, all of our friends and family at our Thanksgiving dinner discussed it. Like you would imagine the same would go for the killer's family, if he has a family and if he is a young man. And maybe... 
you know, this family senses that their son did it and aren't saying anything. I mean, there's so many possibilities. Or maybe this person isn't close with their family and they stayed in town. Like there's just the possibilities are endless when you have as little information as we do. Sure. And it also could have been a completely outsider stranger that had no connection to them whatsoever. Could have been an older guy, too. I mean, it's really hard to say. It really is. But as of the day that we're recording this, which is Monday, November 28th, 2022, today's school is officially back in session for day one of the return from Thanksgiving break at the University of Idaho. So for all the people that police have been unable to question due to them leaving from fear of the killings or for the week-long holiday break, they now will be able to. However, the school is also offering for students who, you know, maybe don't feel safe returning to campus, that they can stay home or wherever they may be and complete the semester online. So it's possible that the killer, if they're a student, won't be coming back to the area anyway. And although police keep saying they believe it's a targeted attack, they're also exploring other options that this could be a serial killer and someone who has killed before but maybe in different areas. Like they were even comparing the murders to a double stabbing in Pullman, Washington in 1999, as well as to a double stabbing in Salem, Oregon in 2021. But they just ruled that out yesterday on Sunday, November 27th. And since there was evidence left at the scene, the Idaho State Crime Lab is officially prioritizing testing on it. And as we know, evidence can sometimes take many months to test because of the backlog. But this case has taken a front seat. And to my knowledge, I've not seen that happen in a case where they they prioritize DNA over other DNA. Well, like in seems, other cases. Right. And it seems at this point that time is really of the essence. They they need to be able to get this done as quickly as possible. Yeah, because and there's so much pressure from the community, from the media, from the world. So I, I definitely understand it. And if, you know, this person's on the loose, are they going to strike again? Who knows? Yeah. And it goes without saying that the city of Moscow is completely terrified right now. As some students return to school and other residents make sure that they keep their doors locked at all times and stay inside together after dark. And reports of suspicious activity in Moscow have uh, skyrocketed as a result of this fear. Like, for example, the owner of a local laundromat called 911 last week to report a quote, mark of blood inside the building, though the responding officer didn't take a report. And a woman called police a couple days later at night to report that someone kept shining a light in her window and was repeatedly banging on her door. God, what a terrifying time to live Ugh. in this city. Especially, yeah. I mean, this woman who's, I mean, someone has a light in your window and is banging on your door. That's so scary, especially knowing what just happened in your city. Yeah, and if this is just some sort of prank, I mean, really, come on, guys. That's just real asshole behavior. It really is. And then just a couple days before this episode comes out, on the night of November 27th, a young woman awoke to find her front door wide open. But she and her th uh, three roommates were unharmed, and this happened at 3.18 a.m., and she lived just one block from Xana, Kaylee, and Maddie's house. Aaron Snell with the Moscow police stated, quote, There have been scientists working 24-7 in the lab to try and get back some of those results in quick order. So while there's other cases going on, 
This case is a priority, and we're starting to get back some results. And this was just a few days ago, so there could be a lot more information coming out this week. And as it does, we know many of you will be reading about it, but we will do a second episode on this when a good amount of new information is available. And they believe that the evidence that's being tested will help create a full picture of the scene and how the murders unfolded that morning. If you have any information that could help this investigation and bring answers into the murders of Kaylee Gonzalez, Maddie Mogan, Zana Kernodal, and Ethan Chapin, please call the tip line at 208-883-7180 or email tipline at ci.mosco.id.us. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And on Friday, we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into. Again, thank you, everybody, for all your emails about this case. I mean, we have just, over Thanksgiving break, we were going crazy because we're like, oh, my God, all we want to do is talk about this story with yeah, you guys. and try to share as much information as possible. Yeah, of course, because the fact that this is unsolved, that there's so little information out, that police have so little information themselves, we just want to make sure that we all share this story to help these four amazing young people's families figure out what happened to their loved ones. So thank you guys in advance for sharing and just talking about this case. And hopefully we will have more information very, very soon. Yeah, I think as those tests start to come back from the lab, like we said, you know, there's going to be a lot more information that I feel like is going to surface here in the next couple of weeks. So please stay tuned with this case. Stay tuned with our show. And because, stay safe. Yeah, and please stay safe out there, especially if you're in Moscow um, or it just in Idaho in general. All right, guys. So for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger.